This is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Today, the theme, what's it like to be a, a veteran journalist in a war where virtually everything that you're writing about, you have enormous opposition with unlimited resources to fight back, not only against what you're saying, but against you personally. Celia Farber is a multi-award-winning journalist, one of the best journalists in America, and she has been for over 40 years. She got her uh, start with Spin Magazine back in the 1980s, and she was started to write her stories and then spread out from there. Well, she was in the front lines starting in about 1989, and she saw what it was like when you tell the truth against the pharmaceutical industry and the media and uh, different groups. So she is our guest for the entire program. And see if you can't see the similarities between what we were told about AIDS and what we were told about COVID. The test for AIDS, the test for COVID. The protocol for AIDS, the protocol for COVID. The scientists who disagreed, the dissenters, mainstream orthodox scientists who said, we don't have it right. Let's redo this and do it correctly. And what happened to them? And what happened to the scientists who challenged Anthony Fauci and Collins and Walensky and the others who headed the war on COVID? I think you'll find it informative. Now to Celia Farber. Nice to have you with us today, Celia. Great to be here, Gary. Uh, thank you, as ever, for everything that you do every day. I mean, really, you're, you're like a mountain of strength for us all. Well, Celia, you were, you were in the front lines, and it doesn't get any more personal or intimate and how you're perceived and how you feel as a person fighting against this monolithic entity that we now see was corrupt at every level and everything they told us at every level was wrong. So tell the story of what you were writing about and how that response came back on you and how that affected you. I, yeah, I was writing about... Uh, a, a field of inquiry that you pioneered you uh, in your writings in Penthouse Magazine. As far as I know, you were the very first in the extremely weaponized field of, of study was did the Gallo orthodoxy get it right when they came out and said HIV, HIV in quotes, was the single and sufficient cause of AIDS. So this was not a story. Uh, it was a, a whole field. I don't know if dialectic is the word, but, uh, you know, as you're well aware, it, it was massive. And I first read John, I'm sorry, yes, John Lauritsen's, you mentioned John Lauritsen earlier, his interview with Peter Duisberg. I was a either intern or editorial assistant at Spin Magazine at the time. We're talking about 1987 here, when Peter Duisberg's first paper came out in cancer research that really split the culture. And it was the, the first blow to, um, you know, the, the blow to the, the beast from the scientific arena. And as, as your listeners will be well aware by now, Peter Duisberg was 
very elite scientist, uh, retrovirologist. So that that's where you have a story. And the, where I where I get adamant is a, a journalist, an editor, a periodical. Those are the people who decide what is a story. What we what we got into in this era was that paid pharmaceutical uh, lobbyists, activists, professional so-called activists. That's a totally false word. They they dictated like the like the family brat, you might say. They started to dictate what was a story. These were not people from journalism who understood what does it mean to commission a story for a reporter to bring in a story. It then goes to fact-checking. The reporter has to deliver original source material. There are traditions here. There are ways, ways things are done. And they created an uh, um, a, a, a ultra-violent, totally, frankly, deranged um, attack system that we all got stuck in for decades thereafter. And the attack system said it is wrong, deadly, and probably most importantly, homophobic for any journalist to touch with a barge pole the question of what the real cause or causes of AIDS may be. So what I always say is that the reason this became such so hellish is because because and Tony Fauci had essentially brought the doctrine of woke into so-called public health, so even so-called virology. And what that meant was that something overtook what was demonstrably true, whether a scientist was esteemed the day before yesterday, he could still be turned to absolute radioactive garbage the next day because this attack apparatus, this woke apparatus, simply said so. So they weren't really trafficking in this fact is wrong and that fact is wrong. They were hitting, hitting us all with this new alien monster weapon of you're, you're guilty, almost even if you are correct, because they wouldn't say that. You're, you're guilty in a Soviet sense or a kind of 1984 George Orwell sense. You're guilty of thought crime against the, the super state. So that's just a little bit about the, about the, you know, the, the field and the terrain. And so I was stuck in that since uh, the late 80s. I remember, maybe you do as well, I was actually writing about it the other day on my Substack. The, the first attack I remember came from the Village Voice. I'm pretty sure the writer was a woman named Anne Gudici Fetner. And it was just this cover story, broadside, in, in, written in these attacking moral terms against Peter Duisburg. And I remember that was the first time sort of like a feeling, I want to say, of a child understanding, you know, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And, and, and that kind of went all through the early HIV descent community, and that sent the first signal. And then it all began. My friend and colleague, Joan Shenton, in London, sometime in the late 80s, I remember, was pulled before a, a, a welcome tribunal, no joke, they were then called Burroughs Welcome Makers of AZT, deadly drug that killed perhaps around 300,000, mostly gay men, uh, was brought up on some kind of strange court, the kind of thing they have in 
the UK that we don't have here, where she was uh, rebuked and attacked by by the Welcome Foundation. I mean, this kind of thing. It, it was absolutely crazy. So what we had was a there was no separation of church and state. There was no way to distinguish. Well, we're over here doing journalism, and we just find facts, cor- make sure they're correct, and publish them. And if there's a problem, it ha- it is it is decided by the editorial board, the editor. We made a mistake. Here's our correction. Instead, what you had again was th- this whole universe that became a multi-trillion-dollar axis of, of, of power and influence decided when somebody had sinned against what they said was the, the truth about AIDS, which was, of course, top to bottom lies. So for me, the actual, I'm going to get a little more specific and concrete now. There were, there was, there were all kinds of uh, attacks that went on, but the formidable attack, the one that really took me out, for the better part of a decade happened in 2006. Ironically or not, um, after I, 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 I wrote my most carefully um, assembled a piece that I took two years with Harper's back and forth, many drafts, I had a whistleblower, Jonathan Fishbein, documentation, it was almost four months just in fact checking and that piece was, was published in uh, February of 2006 in Harper's, and it was called Out of Control, AIDS and the Corruption of Medical Science. And now, uh, so it was, it, 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 it was about many things, and it was a very, very dark, very transparent piece. It was, there was no, nothing where the reader had to, had to take my word for it. Everything was very clearly, you could see it through their own documentation and emails to one another that we obtained, you could see that Anthony Fauci's operatives at the Division of AIDS had watched while a pregnant African-American woman in a trial in Memphis, Tennessee, was taking a drug so toxic, uh, well, the drug I'm talking about is nevirapine. She She was on a she was involved in a trial that she got roped into be- simply because she was pregnant. She had been perfectly healthy. And they told her she had tested positive for HIV. And she wanted to save her baby. So they, they play on the most human instincts. What's strong- stronger than the maternal protective instincts? She got roped into this trial and she became deathly ill right away and they they watched this they watched her liver fail her organs fail she became very jaundiced extremely sick and they did not take her off the drug and she died and so this is the opening of this 2006 article um and i interviewed uh, her sister and i i had emails from the uh, the architects of this monstrosity and they said to one another and this is a direct quote. Oops, looks like we have a nevirapine death in Memphis. Well, they then turned around and told her family, weeping at her hospital bed, this can happen with HIV. This is a, sudden, a rapid onset AIDS death. You know, so the lies and the evil are no, no bounds. Um, I believed because I had all this documentation, all of this 
Sorry, I have an incoming call. I'm just going to, sorry about that beeping. Uh, it'll stop in a moment. So my my last big naive error back then was to was to believe that if you really, really went ultra ultra forensic on these people, if you had a whistleblower from inside, if you had email communications between the bad actors here where they admit it themselves, then surely you wouldn't be the one um, you know driven off your, or driven off the land and flogged and punished and uh, sent to Siberia but I, I was I, I couldn't have been more wrong. It was exactly the opposite. the the, it, the, the more you prove a dark truth, the closer you are to your career being over. In my case, not your career, not not as a writer, but as as somebody who who would ever get you know commissioned. They take away what they call your credibility. What happened to me and what happened to Harper's was when that piece came out. It was only a matter of days before we sort of saw this uh, fireball coming <laughs> coming down the mountain, and it was it was put together by extremely radical so-called AIDS activists in South Africa. And this, I have to hand it to them, they're so demonically good at this, at, at how to destroy a perfectly correct journalist or, or scientist or politician's reputation. So what they did was they, they, they created a, they created a, uh, a drama story, which was that I had made 56 errors in Harper's. There were 56, that was the number. And they put that in the title of the manifesto that they wrote, which then became the story instead of what was in my article. So the story quickly turned, so okay, let me slow down. The manif manifesto, was, it read like a political manifesto. It was called 56 Errors in Farber Harper's article. And they very quickly got all the big Hubas of AIDS to sign on, Robert Gallo himself, uh, John P. Moore, Daniel Karitzes, um your readers, I mean, sorry, your listeners won't know these names, but you will know these names. And these are all, the, you know, the most powerful, the most well-funded, and, and the most um, aggressive. They were the keepers of the, of the temple. They were the ones whose primary job, it seemed, was to go out, degrade, humiliate, and insult anyone who tried to question, as we say, the bizarre HIV theory. So this manifesto was sent to all the world's media, and it started with the nation. I don't think you'll be surprised to hear that. They fired the first shot, the nation. Um, a guy named Richard Kim. And so he sends the signal, there's a, a disaster at Harper's. It's the end of the world. Uh, Harper's needs to be condemned. This is AIDS denialism. This is, uh, you know, all the usual stuff, deadly and dangerous. And, and, of course, they rely on this document, this manifesto, 56 Errors in Farber Harper's article. So if, you, if, one, if one read that document, I mean, who would stop and read such a thing? It didn't contain concrete classical fact errors. It contained 56 
uh, whippings over thought crimes. Or, and yeah, I mean, guilty as charged. I don't speak AIDS speak, double think. I don't, I don't think like them. I don't think it's okay to kill a healthy pregnant woman who's a single mother because you're testing uh, nevirapine on, on her in some kind of completely monstrous, what they call scientific study. What I didn't know, Gary, was that I had, I was going up against, oh, well, I, okay, there, there was a, a, a new juggernaut at the time that was enabled by the second Bush administration, and it was the nevirapine juggernaut. This is so shocking um, that the so-called left thinks this was okay. It was a matter of nevirapine possibly I would say even more toxic than AZT, um, having been rejected from all Western countries for uh, so-called prenatal HIV care, was now being distributed in, I think it was 34 developing world countries, horrifyingly, to pregnant women who simply test positive on that meaningless HIV test. And this was an enormous uh, agenda and program and there were all, all articles all over the place and this was George Bush the second trying to assert himself as uh, you know the, the president who was going to cure AIDS and give all these wonderful drugs to all these developing nations especially Africa now I think we understand a lot more about the depopulation agenda the NWO agenda this is exactly who these people were and who I was up against I didn't quite know all of their um, all of their potential, all of their stripes. They presented as AIDS professionals, but really they were they were NWO agents. They were, you know, New World Order, and central to that is actually depopulation. So this core mystery, none of us, we were all bashing our heads against, was. Just a, a total mystery. How is it that you people get happy when you kill people and you call that saving lives? I mean, it really was that crazy. Um, it was racist to the in the extreme. It it was deadly. It was I've sometimes used the phrase pharmaceutical colonialism. I mean, this is a total inversion of everything the so-called left has always uh, prided itself on being against. Um. So back to um, the attacks. So the the manifesto was used as a let's say like a synthetic. A synth it's almost like a it's like a fake thing, and they put this fake thing out, and all that's required is that now a journalist can say, "Oh, there's a group that put out this thing, and it's real, and everybody's upset," and then they start interviewing all the people who are upset. Uh, AIDS, AIDS, people who make, you know, hundreds of millions off this lie are quoted as though, oh, that they're all, they're wounded and, and, and they deserve to be heard because they're so hurt. They feel so betrayed by Harper's. Not a single phone call to the family of the woman who was murdered. The 12 or 13 year old, her son was 12 or 13, I can't recall, when he lost his mother. I mean, you know, this is a, this is a catastrophe and should have been condemned um, from the highest mountaintops. 
and okay. it was see, extraordinary. Let, see, yeah, sorry. See, let me just intervene for a moment here. So that was a very important moment for you because after all your research, and you're known for doing methodical research, taking longer than what some people would take to do an article because you want to make sure you have it right, is lying, and yet the media is supporting their lies. And you have, you don't have the, the people on your side, you don't have the platforms uh, to defend yourself. So I wanted people to know what it's like when you go up against the most powerful groups in the world, the, the, in, the pharmaceutical industry, in alignment with government agencies, in alignment with the media, and therefore it's you and your word and your research against them. Now, one more piece to this that I'd like you to focus on. We would never have had a declared pandemic or epidemic or even a serious disease situation had we not taken a fraudulent test, the PCR test, you remember Carrie Mullis. I was a friend of Carrie, a professional friend of Carrie Mullis. I did that hour and 54 minute interview where he, he claimed, you know, Fauci's a fraud. And he wanted to debate him at the University of South Carolina where the president of the university wanted to have a debate between Carrie Mullis, the man who won the Nobel Prize for discovering the PCR. But Mullis made it clear, you know, I'll debate him because he didn't know what he was talking about. And then he was, he didn't back off. Mullis never backed off any fight. And he brought reason right. and he brought, he brought his genius to the table. That's right. That's right. He yeah, said, he all, said, yeah. no, oh, forgive me. He said, Kerry Mullis said, do not use my test in the wrong way. It's brilliant for what you can use it for, but it shouldn't be used for diagnosing. And it should only be used for like 13 amplifications. The average American who got the PCR test was getting it at 41 to 44 amplifications, meaning it was junk. So we worldwide, we use a PCR test that was completely invalidated and nobody challenged it, nobody. And so that's what I told my audience. Do not assume because you test positive that you're positive. You know, there are other ways of knowing if you're positive. In any case, now imagine all the people who the New York Times now said are, these are people who are positive for the HIV, uh, for the uh, for the COVID, and hence they're a case, meaning you're you're yeah. a medical case, and then you have to be treated if you're a medical case, and then in comes the movement for remdesivir and for the vaccines, but nothing else that actually worked was allowed. So this is the premeditated part. Now go back to AIDS, and Gallo owned a patent on the. Uh, on the antibody test. Now, historically, yeah. an antibody, if you test positive for the antibody, it means that you're protected. That's why you get a vaccine. The vaccine is a small uh, attenuated or non-attenuated amount of a virus, in which case then your body stimulates an immune response. You destroy the virus, but you are left with an antibody, uh, someone policing your body. In the case of HIV, they weren't looking for the virus. They were looking for an antibody response to it which turned science upside down. In any case, they, an anti, if you're going to test someone, you have to have a gold standard. Meaning, if we're looking for something in your body and we find it, okay, that shows you have a condition. But what if there's a 50 other things, 80 other things will cause you to have a positive reaction? And that's exactly what happened with, with HIV. It was not 
a gold standard, even on the label in the box itself. And I filmed this. Do not use the results of this study to determine if you have HIV or not. So tell us about the lie that if you tested positive, you were going to die. And then all the radical things that came from that, not the least of which was the psychological impact it would have on someone to know that they now had a death sentence. And people actually committed suicide. Tell us that little story, because no one in the mainstream media ever once told the truth about the fraudulent antibody test for HIV. Yeah, precisely correct. And to your, your, first of all, let me just try to say things in sequence here. Your interview with Carrie Mullis, it's not just that it was fantastic and important. I feel that the clips from that have had the effect. It's like it's like sandbags against the death flood. So many people woke up because of that. Thank God you did that interview. <laughs> Thank you for doing that interview. It is amazing. And uh, I, I, I can't share it enough or send it around enough. And uh, so, okay, so that's that. Now, Carrie Mullis, it, what, I, what I think maybe really resonates with people who have never heard of any of this mumbo-jumbo PCR and cycle thresholds is that Carrie Mullis says in that interview, I think it's in your interview he says this. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. PCR can't tell you whether you're going to get sick, which is to say it's, it's, it, they, so it's, it's not just that he talks about how PCR is misinterpreted and all this sort of esoteric stuff, but he, he was against it. You know him and I know him. He was angrily, righteously uh, against the, 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 the witchcraft, the deception, the violence of, of scaring and tricking a person into saying that this needle in a haystack technology picking up on a speck of basically anything you tell it to go find, it will find and then start scare. I think he was really opposing, even before he was opposing the non-science of it, he was opposing the, the abusiveness of it, I mean, as we all are. And sometimes I just want to bring it down to those really clear terms. This, this is abuse. It's abusive to, to frighten people. When people. This is what they set in motion with HIV AIDS. You're healthy, but you, we, the, we the, I'll call them witch doctors, we have this test that you have to take. Even if you feel healthy, you have to pay for this test, and, um, or even better, we'll pay for your test so that you're in the system and we make money off you for the rest of your life. It's diabolical because it inverts medicine. Medicine, classical medicine, began with a human being experiencing symptoms in the body and the doctor then interacts with the actual symptoms in the body. This puts it into outer space, and it's all, it's just the, the, the technological um, destruction of science that technologies and, and so-called diagnostic tests are imbued with uh, powers of such terror. That's why I call it witchcraft. They're imbued with these powers, and nobody stops to say, well, show me the test, show me the test insert. And Fauci himself, you will recall, in 2020, in that astonishing confession, I took it as a confession, he said 37 cycle thresholds, is, uh, is is not is not an infection. It's junk, and so you're absolutely right. They set 
you know, we were all just watching in absolute horror and astonishment. This cannot be happening. PCR. And, of course, Carrie would have been horrified, horrified to see this. PCR drove, launched. Without PCR, they had no, they had no COVID attack. Um, I think the important thing is... And I think this is really happening. You can see this happening. People are returning to, I'm not going to go take a test and let it scare me, scare me to death. Except the people, who, whatever they are, the 30% who just want to remain completely in the trance and brainwashed. Um, well, let me interrupt, please. Do you remember yeah. Christine Johnson? Sure. Tell us about Christine Johnson. I went out to film her and tell her... Tell the audience, please, what she discovered that completely invalidated all of the uh, uh, of the antibody tests that were being given by the National Cancer Institute and the AIDS establishment, and uh, that that Gallo and others were profiting from because they owned the patent on it. Christine Johnson found out, uh, put together, uh, this this is the forbidden research, really shocking, really important that the so-called HIV test, which an ordinary person would think, oh, that must test for HIV. HIV must be this uh, thing, this entity. It has a gold standard. It's a pathogen, and they developed a test, and if you test positive, you have it. No, 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 no. HIV is, in quotes, is, is a, a series of proteins at a certain density of banding, and Christine Johnson discovered that, that uh, those proteins also appear in 60 or more non-HIV contexts from pregnancy to having the flu or having just had the flu to having been exposed to malaria. There, you know, 60, let's say, stresses or, or external or internal factors that caused a, a false positive HIV test. To this day, I'm not sure there is such a thing as a true positive HIV test. This is where it gets really esoteric, and I get off the train because I just want to speak simply for, for, for people who need to understand what's going on with all this. My wife tested positive for COVID. Is she going to die? Um, David Rasnick and many others in our fight have often said, smash the HIV, smash the test, get rid of the test, and you get rid of the problem. And so because we we're not able to do that. How do you do that? These are tens of trillions of dollars strong industries. Um, the uh, So that was Christine Johnson, and I'm thinking right now where people can find uh, her. You know what? I'm going to post that. She, she's, in, she's in two different documentaries I did, AIDS Inc. and AIDS A Second mm -hmm. Opinion. But I want to go one step further with this and our theme that we're discussing. When I was writing uh, articles, I wrote 12 articles about AIDS, and the publishing staff did not want to publish them. In fact, we had a meeting um, of the editorial staff at General Media, and Roy Grutman was the really brilliant lawyer who uh, was the lawyer for all of the media. And he said, we're going up against an establishment that has a thousand ways they can beat you. And he turned to Bob, the publisher, and he said, Bob, I don't recommend that you take this on. And mm. we're, we're going to lose. And everyone agreed. 
the editor-in-chief, the managing editor, the head of advertising, the head of advertising said we could lose seven to ten million dollars in advertising because all these companies that are out there, a part of the AIDS awareness groups, they're interconnected. Boards of directors are interconnected. So anyhow, Bob turns to me and he says, Gary, do you really believe that if we're going to expose this, that we can save lives? And I said, yes, we will save lives if we can stop people from taking the test, if we can determine what the actual causes of AIDS are, including the role of the HIV virus, and then show that there's natural non-toxic treatments that can help a person because the science is there to support that and clinical experience. And he said, then we're going forward. Okay, I remember going down um, Madison Avenue, coming up um, Madison Avenue, and, and in a cab, and I looked up and there was a billboard about it. He went all in. He took out hundreds of thousands of dollars to put it on the sides of buses and billboards, and at least the media was open to discussing it, at least the African-American media, but the rest were not. Now, let's jump over. At that time, we had some outstanding people. For example, the editor of the science section, the Times of London, arguably the most respected news publication in the world, not the New York Times, the Times of London. His name was Neville Hodgkinson. So I went over there to interview him. I interviewed hundreds of people for this. And these were all orthodox mainstream people. None of these were kind of esoteric thinkers. And But he said in that interview, he said, after supporting initially HIV was the single cause of AIDS and that it was deadly to everyone, I began to dig deeper and found out that, well, there were a lot of questions. For example, iatrogenesis of unknown cause. The CDC even published one year, and I still have it, though they took it off this website, that 5,000 plus cases of full-blown AIDS, but they could not find any HIV in any of their bodies. Okay, then what did they die from? And nobody followed up on that. So anyhow, he was leading the way as far as stimulating thought in the scientific circles because he was so respected. And other people who were respected in Great Britain, in Scotland, in France, in Italy, Spain, I interviewed them all over the world, Africa. And uh, so at one point, we actually had a cadre of maybe 50 to 75 people who were journalists and journalist activists, and especially within the gay community with Charles Ortlieb, Nina Ostrom, uh, and, uh, and then, then the backlash came, and they began to target economically and pull out all advertising from the gay publications that supported that uh, this we had been lied to about the underlying causes and the treatments or any part of that story. You couldn't, you couldn't criticize any part of the story, and yet there were That's so right. many holes in the story. And one by one, after 15 years, they closed down the New York Native. That was the number one voice in the gay community. Absolutely. And then they closed down Neville Hodgkins. He lost his job. Uh, and uh, I remember being in Scotland and interviewing one of the world's leading uh, internal medicine and epidemiologists. And he had published over 500 articles, including in the best publications in the world. And he was getting all of his articles rejected. And he said, not just me, but 10 of us got together. And we took one example of how the HIV antibody test was inaccurate, and they wouldn't publish it. 
And yet, if you added all the articles together that we have all published in our careers, it was over 3,000 articles. How do you take the greatest scientists in the world, geniuses, cutting edge, orthodox, and how do you suddenly discredit them? You no longer publish them, and then you get other people you do publish that say these people are spreading misinformation. Sound familiar? Disinformation. And these are coming from these once uh, sacrosanct medical publications and, and the main media. So one by one, over a period of five years, I saw virtually everyone that held a dissenting point of view destroyed. And my last That's conversation, right. my last conversation, I went out to Berkeley. I was interviewing a Joan, um, I interviewed Joan Shetton, and she had been substantially destroyed. And then I went out to um, University of California, Berkeley, to interview Peter, and there was only one person, Brian Ellison, working in his lab, a grad student. No students, not a single student, and yet he used to be one of the most popular classes in the university's history. But then down the hall, two people saw me setting up my equipment with my crew, and a guy came over to me, and he said, when you finish with Peter, we'd like to speak with you, if we can do so off the record. I said, fine, didn't know who they were. And so I spoke with Peter, and he takes a book, a huge book, maybe six inches thick, and he said, this is the most important book in the world on retroviruses. And he said, every retrovirus we know, and what it does, and most of them are harmless, don't do a lot of damage, is in this book. So how is it that we're told that one retrovirus, HIV, can create 30 different diseases, including contribute to cervical cancer when there's no science to prove it. And he said, and so I showed these contradictions. By showing the contradictions, I was suddenly, as a founding member of the National Academy of Sciences, I was suddenly excluded from being able to publish any more articles. I became persona non grata. He said, but don't take my word. There's a couple people still willing to talk. And so I finished with him after about a two-hour interview, and I went down the hall. And one of these was Dr. Stroman. He was one of the highest-ranking professors at the university, and a Dr. Bailey. And he was, a, he was, again, both in the field of virology, and they said to me, and, and I found them, and they said, uh, and I said, you tell me later whether or not you will allow this to be used. If you say don't use it, I won't use it. I, I'm a person of integrity. I'll never break my word. And they said, okay. And here's what one of them said, Dr. Sherman. He said, clearly, the brightest guy at the university is Peter Duisburg, and always has been. He is considered the fair-haired, you know, boy genius. I mean, look at what he has achieved. Look at what he discovered that no one else did. Robert Gallo couldn't step in his, his footprint. They're so large in their impact. And now he's relegated to handling the menu at the alumni picnic. Oh, That's it. They literally. Want, they want no funding, no, no publications. And they said at the end, I said, well, and they spoke for about an hour. And they talked about there's too many inconsistencies. As real scientists, you know, between the two of them, they had almost 80 years experience. And they were nearing retirement. And they both became professor emeritus which is the highest honor you can give someone as they retire from university. It shows you knew what you were talking about. You contributed something unique to science and public awareness, and we respect that. In any case, I then realized 
that they were they were challenging science and how science has been compromised and corrupted by grants. And he said to me, he says, let's say, say you get a $20 million grant each year from the National Institutes of Health to do some specific research, and you find that something in their research is wrong, and you point it out to them, do you think you're going to get refunded? You're not. Doesn't work that way. He said, it's been corrupted by insecurity and greed. And he said, and Peter made the mistake of having too much integrity. Wow, that stuck in my, too much integrity? So we punish someone for being too honest, too original, too insightful? Now, jump ahead till now. So within six months after that interview, virtually three of us were left, you and myself, and one other journalist at the, uh, uh, at the Chicago uh, newspaper that were still hitting hard, presenting the truth, but everyone else had been destroyed. And that was it. All right? Now, yep. jump ahead till today. So we had no more avenues that we could approach the truth with. We had no platforms universally condemned. And here I'm in that unique position of the only person ever proving that I could cure AIDS and did so by the most meticulous standards, thousands of, uh, thousands of lab results, the patients themselves, all their blood work up, their viral loads, everything, and a medical staff supporting that. That's what's in the uh, documentary, uh, The Cost of Denial, and yet called an AIDS denialist and put in that crappy little publication Wikipedia. Well, jump ahead. Here's the big difference, Celia, and I want your final thoughts on this. Now we come to today. Every one of the people who is speaking out today were pro-Anthony Fauci, pro-COVID, pro-protocols, until they began to see that it wasn't working. These people were not there at day one. These people, like Malone, they took the vaccines. Uh, they, they all took the vaccines, and they're pro-vaccine. That's why I wrote an article, Vaccines Are Safe and Effective, or Are They? I sent you a copy of the article. And I went after every single major vaccine, from the smallpox to the, to the polio to the measles, showing there's no science supporting what they're claiming. And to the contrary, in any case, Here's the difference, and this is a huge difference. They were, as you said, they were meticulous and methodical and brilliant in how they destroyed the truth. They were even more Orwellian than Orwell. Mm -hmm. But today, That's right. all, all those first 15 doctors, remember 15 doctors, frontline doctors, and their lab coats were out yep. in front of the uh, uh, Supreme Court, and they each made statements. They didn't know each other. But they knew that they could help a patient if they were giving him ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, zinc, vitamin C, quercetin. And their patients were living and overcoming the virus in short order without dying or going to the hospital or being intubated. That's where they started. Immediately they were targeted. Remember the, Af uh, the African woman? She's, not, she's now African-American, but she came from, I believe it was Nigeria. And the first stories about her was, oh, she's, you know, She's one of these supporters of witch doctor, you know, magic. They tried to denounce her. None of that was true, but they went after her. Then they went after the MD, who was also a lawyer. And then they went after each and every one of them. But then they took their hits. Now, all these were orthodox. Then they went after the epidemiologists from Stanford, 
Oxford and, and uh, Harvard. And we actually now have a memo under Freedom of Information Act from the head of the U.S. Public Health Services that oversees all these government agencies and decides where the money is going to go. Um, and he talked specifically about this, one of the world's most eminent and respected epidemiologists, that he's some kind of quack and we got to destroy him and stop this story from getting out. That's in the memo, intent to destroy reputation. And that's when they started funding all of these disinformation. If you say this, if you say anything about masks or the vaccines or drugs, you're, you know, you're distributing misinformation. And then dozens of these formed, and then thousands of them formed, and then all of the major uh, platforms were shown to be cooperating illegally and unethically, including the FBI, the CIA, Homeland Security, the pharmaceutical industry, with Facebook and Twitter and uh, Wikipedia and all these. They, they all had influence and were keeping this in the public. And they had all these dutiful uh, sycophants, followers in the media. And they attacked all of them. I, I was one of the signers of the great, uh, the great uh, Barrington Declaration showing that they had made huge mistakes in quarantining people and it was and preventing children from going to school and it was causing irreparable damage to these. Well, they went after everyone on that. All 75,000 of us. And then it started to grow. And now it's turned. Everything they said, unlike with AIDS and the industry that grew from that and the myth that grew from that, everything they told us about COVID turns out to be misinformation. Everything. And the statistics they kept from us that we've now gotten the court to give us and the person deciphering that is Naomi Wolf uh, with 3,500 people assisting her in specialized fields. They knew that it would cause miscarriage. They knew it would cause endocarditis. They knew it would cause myocarditis. They knew it would cause seizure. They knew it would cause uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. They knew all of this at the beginning. That means that they are susceptible to legal action because they're not identified by the government because they lied. And when you obstruct justice, when you lie with intent and engage in malice of forethought, you're no longer protected. So the lawsuits are now starting. And now we have hundreds, if not thousands of lawyers working together to go after those who are complicit. But unlike AIDS, where we had no one left to fight the battle with, we, we you know, there's an army of them and one or two of us in the trench you know, and you look around and think, you know, there's no more support. There's no one who's, they've all been damaged or their reputation's killed off. And you're alone in front of this massive army. And you think, what am I going to do? Well, now, every one of the people who are attacked are attacking back. Because these are people who are working together. Now mm -hmm. you have thousands of medical doctors, thousands of physicians, thousands upon thousands of independent individuals with their podcasts like Joe Rogan, Jimmy Dore. They're not medical doctors, not scientists, but they have huge audiences. And when someone is banned on the liberal media, really shows you how liberal they are, right? I'm embarrassed by the liberal media today because it's been completely co-opted. It's a fascist media. It's totalitarian media. It's no free speech media. And it's no truth media. And so now, it's shifted. The entire house of cards is collapsing. And now more and more people are saying the truth 
of everything they told us. Even today on my show, I'm doing a little broadcast about the, uh, the CDC lied about the safety of the vaccine for pregnant women. They knew at the time that it was not safe. They lied. They, uh, they misread uh, uh, medical reports and published misinformation. So it was all lies. So now the public is losing faith in the media, in the scientific community, and we'll start to see people like Anthony Fauci held to account at least as far as destroying their reputations, which they deserve. And even if you saw the piece by Jonathan Turley, constitutional lawyer, who just last week, last Tuesday, presented an article that showed that there's a certain person that I'd never heard of that had to certify the seven heads of the seven federal agencies under the U.S. Public Health Service, and he didn't do it. It was forgotten. Mm. As Turley said, if you are not certified, then you no longer have an official government position. You may show up to work, you may get a paycheck, but you're just a citizen. So when Anthony Fauci, sometime in 2021, was telling everybody to wear your mask, get another booster, etc., and that there were no deaths and injuries, and uh, he was doing that as a private citizen, according to John Turley, as were the other heads of the agency, the CDC. That means that as private citizens, legally, since they hadn't been recertified, they can now be held accountable legally. So now we're going to start seeing the formation of lawsuits to go after those people. And now we have congressional hearings, and we have had no legitimate congressional hearings in 20 years up till now because the control of the House and the Senate uh, by people who will not allow the pharmaceutical industry to be held accountable for anything, or the media for that matter. All that's changing. So now, unlike back then, where they just, they just clean the field, the opposition left no one standing. And now today, not only are people standing, but there's allegiances in the medical and scientific field, pharmacist field, teachers are joining together to fight back. Your thoughts on this, please. The difference between AIDS and COVID, even though the same playbook was used for AIDS that was used for COVID, but there's going to be a very big difference in the outcome. Right. We are in, um, I, I believe that we, we have one slash are winning but it's not over by a long shot. I believe that we've broken through the, the, the bulk of the public spell. And I believe that what, what we call, you know, most, well, people, uh, people who are not part of this and haven't spent the last decades that we ha as we have thinking about this, they know it's all lies and they're not sure how to cope with their shock. These are people who's, parents perhaps or even children were killed by this agenda and you could say killed by the media so the media has really direct, killed people this is lethal so-called misinformation and there's no way to put this elephant back in the bottle if you will there's no way it's only going to grow and grow and grow and grow all they can do is i'm going to i'm going to tell you a very specific thing how i how i gauge kind of where we are in this information war. So yesterday I published a piece, absolutely blew my mind. I saw it on CNN, I'll send you this piece, and it's about a, a doctor who has never treated a COVID patient, yet somehow he's a sort of COVID advisor on Twitter, so-called. Well, he was fully vaxxed, fully boosted, and uh, 
woke up in a pool of blood in the shower or in the bathroom, was taken to hospital, had a subdural hematoma, broken bones, even a fracture in his neck. And you won't believe this was uh, he posts on Twitter that this was COVID that came to get him because he had recently for the first time tested positive on a PCR test for COVID. And the CNN so-called reporter repeated all this. I mean, I just took it apart and I allowed myself real mockery. I usually try to avoid mockery. But what you can see in this piece, I would say the good news for us is that they're that desperate, they're that far out on the very thin ice that they have to, and as I say in the piece, literally, Gary, literally, this guy blamed the hot shower, the steam, and even the metal trash can um, for his injuries uh, and was advising by the end of the article, you know, be careful with hot showers and hot baths. They've thrown, put out there that people are dying uh, on mass by, from turbo cancer because of um, let's see, what is it, um, uh, the, the chemicals in dry cleaning. They've said that cold showers are causing people to have heart attacks. You know, all this, and you, you can look at that in despair and say, but that's not true and there's no foundation and it's crazy and it's lies. But what it also is is an in, indication, a measure of their desperation and their their nothingness. It's like that's all they have. That's all that's standing between the... Um, grotesquely wounded, you know, mass the people, right, and and them and their lives. They don't even they don't even have well built counter lives that they should have been ready with. They have nothing. So I believe we are very close. And I know it's dangerous to say that, and it's hopium and so forth. I don't see how people say, oh, they're going to launch another one and another one. I, I absolutely don't see how they can do that. The the as you say. The, the the people who really have mass audiences today uh, are, are are broadcasting about these lies. Joe Rogan, you mentioned um, uh, you mentioned Jimmy Dore, of course Tucker Carlson, yourself, so many, and these are people with massive audiences. And then you look at them, and they they only have really bought, captured, brainwashed audiences. You're right. So. You know, that's one way to gauge it. We're winning. We are. And we're winning in no small measure because of the diligent, real, old-fashioned investigative journalists like yourself who continue to share the truth. And you've done this your whole career. We commend you for this. And for the 3,000 scientists, including Nobel Arts, who never had a form, were never quoted, never interviewed in the, in the news about their feelings about AIDS, who challenged different aspects of the war on AIDS. And I posted all their comments on GaryNall.com. Thank you very much for being today a guest on the Progressive Commentary Hour. Celia Farber. And you go Thank to you, her Gary. Substack. What is your substack? Uh, how do they get there? CeliaFarber.substack.com. Thank you, Celia. I look forward to another discussion. I'm Gary Nall. Thank you all for taking your time to listen. And if you find that this is valid, share it with other people. Remember, we have the truth on our side. They had the power in the media on theirs. Word of mouth makes a difference. Have a nice day, everyone. Hey, hey, hey. hey what's happening? Brother, what's up? Uh,
is a hey, new recording, man. Yeah, I can dig it. <laughs> Brother, there's far too many of you die. You know we 